0: Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, addiction and the top five things you don't want to buy cheap.
1: People seem to be more attached not to the win, but to that moment right before they know whether it's a win or a near miss. So most people are like, oh, I bet you people lie because they don't want to share about their sex life. And it's actually not typically that. It's the issue for getting the truth for people is that our own perceptions of our behavior shape what we see about ourselves. So anything you do that makes you safer and more likely to wake up tomorrow, even in the midst of your addiction, that's breaking part of the cycle.
0: I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It helps out the show. And more than anything, we just like hearing from people. So I want to get right to our first guest. He's an addiction researcher who specializes in gambling and sex addiction. This is Dr. Joshua Grubbs. What is addiction, basically? It's not an easy answer.
1: This is one that if you ask someone on the street what is an addiction, I think they might actually be able to come up with a, a answer more quickly than most psychologists or, or specialists could because this is something that's still debated. Now, broadly speaking, when we say addiction, what we tend to mean is a pattern of excessive or compulsive behavior, a behavior that's out of control. That someone feels like they cannot stop, that they try to stop, but they can't, even though that behavior is getting in the way of their lives, it's causing problems normally most professionals would also say that there's a chemical piece as well, right? There's this notion that there's things going on in your brain with neurotransmitters typically being altered via and the introduction of a chemical from outside the system. But the core of it is this inability to stop despite consequences, um, despite wanting to stop.
0: Is this something that happens to us kind of over time? Or are people like born and imagine you could look at the baby brain and like, yep, that person is going to be addicted to something. Like, are we born this way or do we become this way?
1: So, right, that's getting right at the, the, the core of nature versus nurture, which is at the heart of psychology, which we've, we've been fighting about for as long as the field has existed. The answer is yes, right? So genetics are a huge portion. If you are the child of uh, people with addictions, you are more likely to develop that, even if you were you know, adopted at birth um but environment is a huge factor so things happen along the way that make it more likely and then personal decisions as well as societal factors you know Someone might have a predisposition developing an opioid addiction, but never really encounter opioids in daily life um, because they've never had an accident that left them needing pain medication. So, yes, the genetic piece, the being born with the piece is there for some people. um, But whether or not that leads to addiction is completely based on environment. And there's some people that come from families with no history of addiction whatsoever that then due to life circumstances due to things that happen in them developing so it's a little bit of both um, and it varies from person to person
0: so could it be like a situation for me like I'll use myself as an example I could be incredibly addicted to let's use something benign nerds candy but I've never had nerds candy and then one day it's just boom I'm I'm off the rails
1: in, in theory yeah it certainly could happen there there are you know documented cases of people that never had a problem with addiction in their life, get prescribed an opioid, and then it seems like they can never come off of it, right? So that that sort of thing. So they get prescribed Oxy, and then it just never goes away. So that that happens. I mean, that's less likely. More often than not, there's these complex factors, and it's not just one exposure. Um, But there are cases that it is. It seems like that one exposure is enough, and it sets
0: it all off. Do people usually know it? Like, do they know that they're addicted, or do friends and family kind of spot it first?
1: Most, in my clinical work, most of the time, yes, they do. Um, there tends to be an awareness. I mean the the consequences become severe enough that they ha- and they realize they can't stop even when they want to, right? So often one of the criteria we look for in diagnosing an addiction is well, have you tried to stop and fail? If you've tried to stop, you've typically acknowledged that something's wrong, right? And so there's an awareness that something's going on. Now what's interesting is we actually see with certain behaviors, say say viewing pornography, or sexual behavior, people will say they have an addiction even when they don't have one. And so there's actually an over-reporting with some behaviors, and other behaviors are less likely to be reported. Like, traditionally, people with an alcohol problem um, often take a little longer to realize it's a problem than, say, maybe someone that was dealing with uh, an illicit drug problem. There's just, like, social norms and awareness might lead someone to really... I mean, the reality is that if you're using something like heroin that you're buying off the street. It doesn't take long to realize like, Hmm, maybe this isn't the best. And this is probably a sign to something wrong. Whereas if you're, you know, having three drinks a day after work, and that evolves into four evolves into five evolves into six. It may take longer for you to realize like, Oh, wait a minute. This is, this is a lot. This is a problem.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you specialize basically in gambling and sex addiction. Those are the areas. Yeah. Is that Are they fundamentally different than other types of addiction, or is addiction addiction? It's just instead of liking apples, you like oranges.
1: So the answer you get to that question is going to vary by the, the research professional you talk to. I'm definitely the one that says they are fundamentally different and functionally the same, which sounds like a weird distinction, and it is. In practice, with consequences in life, with how it affects your relationships, how it affects your work, how it affects your day to day living, they are v- functionally the same as most other addictions. You know, at the end of the day, an out of control behavior pattern that leads your relationships to fall apart, that leads you to get fired from jobs, that leads you to go into debt, that leads you to perform, I mean, to do things that are maybe not legal to support it. Whether it's heroin or sex or gambling, they're all functionally looking the same. But fundamentally, I think when we, we really start parsing out what's going on underneath the surface in the brain and in, in the complex psychological processes leading to it, I think there are some differences. I, I'm of the opinion that there's maybe a difference between what we would call a compulsive behavior, which would be something like sex or gambling, and a true addiction, which we would say maybe is a substance that you've developed a dependence on. Um, but that, that's very hotly debated. And so I would say this is my opinion as a scientist and a professional that works in this space and that you could find five other scientists and professionals that I strongly respect that would absolutely disagree and say, no, they're exactly the same.
0: How prevalent, I guess, are gambling and sex addiction? Right.
1: So, so if we're talking about prevalence, so I'll answer gambling first because it's super straightforward, um, somewhere between, half a percent and five percent of the population has problems with that i tend to think it's the number the best numbers i think are in that one to two percent range so given a hundred people one of them probably has a gambling problem um that is more common than you know pressing b on your keyboard but far less common than alcohol than nicotine certainly less common than caffeine um it's it's the type that, again, if you think about your networks of people, you probably do know someone, whether you know that you know or not. Um, you probably do know someone with the problem. Um, whereas, if you think most of us, we think about our networks of people, we know several people that have substance use issues somewhere along the way.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Sex is, is a lot more complicated. And the reason being is that it's hard to determine what is a dysregulated amount of sex and whether or not someone's self-report is accurate. Here's what I mean by that. When we run nationally representative surveys and I ask, do you think you're addicted to porn? A full 10% of American men will say yes. Um, That is an unbelievably high number. And I'm not trying to dismiss people's concerns, but if 10% of American men had a full blown addiction, a true addiction to porn, we would expect there to be a much larger societal consequences. I mean, the when we think about true addictions, we're talking about wages lost, work missed, relationships falling apart, health problems, all of these things. None of those things are currently attached to porn use. So we actually see this phenomena with porn in particular where people will overreport it based on the fact that they're engaging in a behavior that makes them feel guilty and ashamed, but yet they still do it. And so there's the shame aspect with the sex stuff. Um, and that really complicates it. If I guessed, I would say it's probably around that one percent mark, but it I couldn't point to data that proved me right there.
0: That makes sense. I'll use like myself as an example, right? Like I've certainly never missed work or anything like that, or you know, like not spent time with family. But have I maybe looked at pictures when I probably should have been doing something else? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of that's like- part
1: of it? I mean, uh, the big, the lion's share of this um, shame and guilt phenomenon leading to someone thinking they're they have an addiction because they're they're feeling guilty is in more conservative, more religious groups. And so, if you look in conservative religious groups in the U.S., and so I, I don't just so evangelical Christians are, are an obvious one here, but it's the same for the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints, the Mormon Church. Um, it's the same for conservative Catholics. Um, it's the same for several other denominations as well. It also occurs in the Orthodox Jewish community. Um, there's an obsessive concern about how porn is ruining lives. And so there's a lot of messaging against pornography. So it's really heavily emphasized. You should never look at porn. Porn is bad. It's evil. It's a, I mean, there's verses in the Bible that people quote saying like, you know, this is literally committing adultery. So when you're viewing porn, you're, you're committing adultery on your spouse and you get this messaging in people's head. And so they think, well, this is really bad, but yet I'm still viewing it once a month. I must have an addiction because if, if it's this bad and I can't stop viewing it once a month, like that means I'm addicted to it. And it's like, I mean, you view porn for 30 minutes last month and like, yeah, it created a lot of distress for you and it probably created drama in, in your relationships, but that's just not the criteria I typically associate with an addiction.
0: Yeah, that's kind of you and like I would. Okay, so when what point would you say if you looked at like all right now this is a problem? Somebody right thirty minutes a day. Well, an no, hour I mean, a day? and so it, it's hugely variable, and it, it's going to vary on
1: your your kind of life circumstances and what's going on. What I would say is, are there objective consequences. So are you finding yourself, um, you know, viewing porn when you're at work and it's creating problems? So I don't mean like, okay, that one time, one year ago, I went to the bathroom with my phone. I mean like, no, at my desk, I mean every day. Um, or, or you find yourself spending multiple hours per day. So like if you're in a situation where you're viewing porn for multiple hours a day, And it's getting in the way of work or relationships or self-care. Like, hey, you haven't showered in six days because you've been spending eight hours a day viewing porn. That's a a bad sign. Like, that's not healthy, right? But we are looking for those more extreme cases. Um, And what the more common presentation is someone who might – might go five or six days a week without viewing, but then it's literally all weekend long, completely binged, not engaged in any relationships whatsoever, just almost every waking moment. Uh, and again, these are extreme examples, but those, those are the types of examples that we see in therapy um, that show up in some of the treatment studies as well of people that it, it's objectively ruining their life. I mean, I, and that sounds like a, a weird criteria to put out there, but I mean, that's what it is. Is it actually really creating major problems in your life? Not your guilt about it, not your thoughts about it, but your actual behavior is that creating the problem. If the answer is it's the actual behavior, then that's, that's a sign that something's going on that we probably want to work with
0: sounds it reminds me kind of like i went to journalism school so it comes from that right like the definition of obscenity is like i can't tell you what it is but i know it as soon as i see
1: it. yeah there's a it's a former chief justice of the Supreme court that actually said that about oh. obscenities and porns we quoted some of our papers of like defining porn is, is really hard defining obscenity is hard but you know it when you see it addiction i mean there are right we use criteria like you know persistent patterns of dysregulation, but there's so much subjectivity in it um, about what impairment looks like. So if you told me, well, you know, I'm an adult content creator, so I watch porn for three hours a day to get ideas and I produce porn for two hours a day. Yeah. I actually enjoy that. Cause that's who I am. Um, I'm not going to tell that person that they have an addiction, even though they're spending five hours a day engaging with the porn, right? Because it's a different context, but the person that says, yeah, I'm, I'm spending, you know, a couple minutes here or there, but then I go on these eight hour binges and like um, I got fired from for doing that at work or I don't spend time with any of my friends anymore because every free moment I want to go do porn. Well, that's that's a more concerning sign. Right, and more it's easier with interpersonal sexual behavior. If you tell me like, yes, I'm constantly hooking up with strangers, having unsafe sex. I cannot stop no matter what I try. I'm you know, I've had eight sexual partners last week don't remember who any of them were, and it was all unsafe and unprotected. I'm going to be concerned. And if you tell me the same story and you're still being safe and protected, I'll be less concerned, actually. <laughs> but again, there's this – when there's interpersonal sexual stuff, it's a little easier to, to pick up on than with, say, porn because we all have individual private sexual behaviors that getting norms for are a little harder to establish.
0: I would imagine it's hard to get people to tell you the truth. It is, but not for the reason that you think
1: it is. So most people are like, oh, I bet you people lie because they don't want to share about their sex life. It's actually not typically that. It's the issue for getting the truth from people is that our own perceptions of our behavior shape what we see about ourselves. So you'll have people. We see this. It's actually pretty well documented with the people that game too much. So people that think they're addicted to games, um, if you actually measure how much time they're spending on games and then ask them how much time they spend on games they will over report they'll be they'll pick numbers that are sometimes twice three times as high as what they actually spent so there's there's this feeling something's wrong so they inflate it and then the flip side people thinking no nothing's wrong and so they downplay it and so our self perception and this is actually true of all addictions you know there's this notion sometimes in addiction therapy that oh you can't trust what your client says they're going to lie to you. that's not what it is Clients, people with addictions, people without addictions, we're not often very insightful about ourselves. Um, and our, our worldviews, our beliefs, our behaviors, our relationships, what we had for breakfast that morning can all influence in that moment what we recall of our own behaviors. And it changes what we say to the people in front of us. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to get honest reports. But I tell when I'm training new therapists, I tell them, you're not interested with therapy is not always about the objective truth. It's about their experience of their lives and getting to an experience of their life that's more positive, that's more, that works for them. And so maybe that what they're telling you isn't entirely accurate, but it is what they think is accurate. So
0: is that, is that because we, I mean, are they in any way kind of, I don't know what the right phrase is, self deflecting, like they're not they know what the truth is, but they won't admit it or just that we as people are just bad at this. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. Sometimes um, that happens. Sometimes people are trying to hide and self deflecting it and are being dishonest with themselves. Uh, I don't, I don't, I couldn't put a proportion on it, but I would say, I think it's probably more common that we just kind of lack insight. Um, And so, there are points in therapy as a therapist where I'm trying to push a client to say, okay, if we really do an honest inventory of ourselves right now, I think you're going to come up with a different answer. But more often than not, it's you know about reframing what's going on so that they can arrive. So it's not challenging them to be honest with themselves. It's, it's challenging them to think about it differently, which will then lead to a different which sounds like a small difference, but it it is actually a pretty dramatic difference in, in the room with how we're approaching things.
0: So when you look at like sex addiction, is it more prevalent amongst men, women?
1: Undoubtedly, um, men, um, among people that self identify as having sex addiction, that seek treatment from sex addiction, men are more common. Um, and typically it's heterosexual men. Um, despite the fact that, um, bisexual gay men who have sex with men are actually typically much more sexually active and having more sexual encounters in their daily lives. Um, it's typically heterosexual men that are identifying as having a sex addiction.
0: How come, why do you, why is that? Why would that be? <laughs> I guess, why that.
1: would it be? So there's huge, huge, huge number of variables that go into play. One of the big ones is that same thing I was talking about with moral, morality and shame and guilt and beliefs. Um, disproportionately, the men who are dealing with conservative sexual values and feeling like they're violating are going to be men that identify as heterosexual, right? If you're in a conservative religious group that says that viewing porn is evil, chances are you're also in a conservative religious group that says being anything other than heterosexuals. So part of it is they're heterosexual by identification because that's all they're allowed. To. So that that's one factor. I mean, another factor is what's normative. There there are, you know, basic differences in sexual frequency, desire, drive between men and women. I mean, it's very complex, and I don't want to get into, like, gender binary debates and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. No, broadly speaking, on the whole, um, women are less likely to desire the frequency of sexual encounters as men. There's societal reasons for that whether or not they're biological is a separate debate. Um, and so heterosexual men are less likely to have partners that want sex as frequently as they are. And so there's a mismatch of desire. So one of the most common things you see in heterosexual marriages is, is desire mismatch, right? Where man wants more sex than woman. And instead of, you know, working this throughout with compromise or therapy or conversations, man turns to porn and then he feels like he's doing porn all the time because And it turns into this vicious cycle of I'm not getting the sex I want. So I'm viewing porn, but I can't stop viewing porn. And when I try to stop viewing porn, I couldn't, therefore I haven't. And it just gets this, this kind of spiral effect uh, where these, again, all of these things, like it's, it's hard to talk about it like casually because there's so many different individual and then cultural variables that come into play. Um, and, And I can imagine a counterpoint for everything that I'm saying, but on the whole we see heterosexual men reporting it more and it seems to be a combination of, of desire mismatch leading to other behaviors and then the conservative sexual values
0: from for gambling addictions mm-hmm. right like is it I guess what are they addicted to
1: so it, it, there's variability depending on the, on the game of preference um, in some case some studies actually indicate it's an addiction to the ambiguity and the chant aspect of it. So what we actually have seen in repeated neurological studies and and curie activity studies, they're just different paradigms that we use. People seem to be more attached not to the win, but to that moment right before they know whether it's a win or a near miss. So imagine on a traditional, so slots are really complicated. Imagine on a more traditional slot setup, you've got your three, four, seven, whatever it is, rows, you know, spinning right? And they hit in order, and whether it's a digital slot or the old school traditional ones, they you know they they don't all stop at the same time. They stop one by one. So there's this build of like, all right, I got this one one logo showed up, this one fruit tri- in the old school slot machines, and the second one just hit the same. And there's this building anticipation, like, ooh, what's going to be next? And then the third one hits just the same, and you're just waiting on that fourth one. And in that brief moment, there's this heightening of I mean, everything inside, like adrenaline kind of starts to pump. There's a lot of other kind of neurochemicals getting involved, bringing your attention into this moment, really tying you into to what's about to hit next, what's going to be that last one. And what we find is that the arousal level actually hits the hardest when you get, you know, three, four, whatever it is in a row, and the last one misses than when the last one hits. There's that near-miss phenomena whereas there, there's this rush and then the crushing disappointment and that emotional roller coaster produces reactions in people that we crave at an almost subconscious level. Now, yes, everyone loves winning. Um, but if you won every time, it, it wouldn't be gambling, right? Like that's people aren't. So, workaholism is not an actual addiction, right? You aren't addicted to going to work and making sure you get that paycheck every time. Like, that's not a thing. It's the, it's the uncertainty piece that seems to activate something. Now, there's, there's theories about this. A lot of people go back to evolutionary psychology and say that we're wired to seek uncertainty because uncertainty has the chance of better payoffs. So I'm not entirely convinced by that argument, but there is something to be say, said for humans like uncertainty, even when we say that we don't. We like a little bit of ambiguity. We like surprises. Um, and it seems to be that same process there. And that's for – I mean it gets more complicated when we're talking about sports um, and cards and things like that. But they all seem to be that same piece of that uncertainty, that moment of uncertainty. It's not when you win that hooks you. It's that uncertainty that you keep coming back for.
0: I would have never thought it that way, right? Like I would have thought that they were addicted to the sensation of winning. But it sounds like they're really addicted to the sensation of almost winning and then losing. Right. And if you talk to most gamblers – boom,
1: boom. Yeah, if you talk to most gamblers they'll be like but no it's the winning and at a conscious level it is the winning but when we look at what's happening underneath the surface it is that bump bump roller coaster of that almost hitting it and then dropping and then that makes the win even that much sweeter right because you've had you've gotten that ride ride the roller coaster up and drop rise well and then finally it hits and it's like yes um but it, again, it is that it's all built on, on the losses. Like you have to have the losses for
0: the wins to be appealing. Does it matter the game? Like is somebody that, is there a difference between the person who's addicted to blackjack versus craps versus poker versus slot machines?
1: So blackjacks versus craps versus poker, actually most often there's not a whole lot of differences going on there. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I joked um, that the difference between um, someone who has an addiction to poker and the someone who's on the world poker tour is what, how good they are, right? It, it's not that that addiction isn't quite the same as what we're seeing um, with slots in particular. And, and the reason being um, skill-based games cra- I, I has crafts is kind of more chance. So blackjack and poker have, more skill pieces. Ochre being one of the most skill-based games with some chance interjected into it. And then everything gets progressively more chance-based. Those type of people that develop those problems, it's typically a, a complicated picture um, based less on the inherently appealing nature of the game and more on what they're using the game to do for themselves. Slots... Um, I, I in practice you see more people addicted to slots to sports betting to kino in rare more rare cases like extreme lottery ticket buying things like that but for those people there's often this clear use of the gambling as a detachment from something else going on. so the the very we've documented this in a lot of our research That people with PTSD um, in particular are really drawn to slot machines, to games that are very kind of zone out and just bring yourself into the game. So, I mean, you could develop a slot machine problem without PTSD, but oftentimes we see the slots functioning as a way of shutting out the rest of the world, shutting off your internal world and just being in tune with this one emotional roller coaster and not the rest of your life. It's chaos. Um, where that's a less common presentation for poker like
0: that. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? I'm always for
1: some listener submitted questions.
0: Can people really break the cycle, or do they just change one addiction for another?
1: People can absolutely break the cycle, and I would challenge people to think that breaking the cycle doesn't just mean total abstinence. You know, if someone in college was drinking six, seven drinks a day, living in a perpetual state of hungover to drunk um, and couldn't stop when they wanted, but then come to a point through either intervention or personal decision that they drink once or twice a month, that's breaking the cycle, right? That's breaking a cycle of what looks like an addictive behavior, even if they're not absent, even if they, because they've chosen to do things in a way that's safe. There's this notion in addiction treatment of harm reduction. Anything you do, that makes you safer and more likely to wake up tomorrow, even in the midst of your addiction, that's breaking part of the cycle. And so, yes, absolutely. And I see people that go through recovery for one substance and never pick another one up. And yes, I see people the other way, too, that it, they just seem to transfer one to the other. The person that had alcohol that goes to gambling, gambling goes to sex, from sex, they go to heroin. Like, yes, you see that. But more often than not, I see people that break the cycle or get to a safer place and they don't they don't go back to that dark place again and they, they move forward
0: what's that like i guess then what's the secret in the therapy or what's their secret like what it
1: i don't i mean I don't, I don't think there's anything as far as i don't think it's a secret i think it's a combination of you know getting in getting the type of therapy you need but a lot of people actually naturally remit which is it's hard for therapists to admit but uh, it's over half of people that have addictions um that recover recover without therapists whatsoever like they just for some people it is absolute just white knuckling it through it other people their lives change um a relationship ends that was dragging them down for other people it's a series of gradual changes like i've met more than you know i know lots of people that you know cold turkey their way quitting smoking but i know a lot of other people that was like well i used to smoke two packs a day and then it came down to a half a pack a day and then i switched to a vape um and i've been on a vape for three years now, but I only vape ate, you know, twice a day. Um, and yes, they're still, you know, dealing with the nicotine, but like, they're also, their lung cancer risk went way down, all of those types. So like, it's, it's, it's all sorts of different pictures, um, that I see. Um, and so it, it's not one size fits all. And one of the things, if someone's listening to this and is really struggling with addiction, they don't feel like they can get through. My my only advice is keep trying. And if something's not working, don't just keep trying that. Like if you've been trying to go to AA meetings for ten years and it's never worked, try something different. Like AA doesn't work for everybody. Works for a lot of people. Doesn't work for everybody. So try something different.
0: Which does society demonize more, gambling or sex addiction?
1: Sex. Yeah, sex. Undoubtedly, it's because of our society has got such a um, still such a strong kind of Protestant background and if you look even politically you know one of the major political parties in the country is very strongly aligned with conservative christian sexual values um so right now it's sex um was it that way 50 years ago i don't know um will it be that way 50 years from now i don't know (laughs) right now though i'd say it's sex
0: are we more addicted now than you think that we were in the past
1: no no this is actually a pretty common idea like oh no thanks to technology and hyperpalatable foods. This we're all developing more addictions for. I don't think there's any good evidence of that. I think you know. I think addictions have have been here with us. The reason we think that there's more now is that we're more aware of what's happening. Um, we just get better at measuring what's around us the longer we go. I, I think a good analogy is if you look at sports and sports statistics. And so you might sometimes listen to an old sports fan like back in my day we didn't have all these statistics. It's like. I mean, but they were there. Like, these metrics were still happening, but right, no one was right. measuring, right? So, like, they, you know, you'll see anytime you watch an NBA game, this is the first time someone's gone for this many minutes at this many scores at this many things while wearing shorts that were this long or whatever, right? <laughs> like, and it yeah. seems absurd, but, like, it's it's measurement. We're better at measuring things now than we used to be.
0: The thing, this is completely aside, but the thing that I always wonder about is, like, what did people in, like, the 1800s, they just look at clouds that look like a woman <laughs> what were their, they their history of, what
1: were they doing i mean, history of porn is one of one of the really i mean i'm not a historian but I, i've read some of this work you know there there's certainly evidence that people were marketing erotic drawings hundreds and hundreds of years ago thousands of years ago it took less it took only just a few short years for from the invention of the camera to the selling of you know nudes. Um, the reason that Blu-ray won out over what was it HD disc or whatever it was was because oh of the porn, yeah their, I heard that about yeah right, Betamax yeah Betamax for what of. and this is consistent like we have always used the technology at our disposal to produce images of sexuality um, whether that was drawing on paper to now with full-blown virtual reality
0: are we all addicted to something so i think if you think of
1: addiction in terms of functional impairment like is this behavior creating problems in your ability to exist in life the answer is no if the if we're thinking about addiction in terms of is this something i can't stop even if i wanted to Then yes. Right. So like, yes, I'm absolutely addicted to caffeine. Like I, I, I traveled abroad a couple of years ago before COVID um, to a country that did not have easy access to coffee. And I had withdrawal headaches for two days until I finally found a Starbucks. It was 16 blocks from my hotel and I walked to it every single day from there on out to get coffee. That absolutely sounds like an addiction when you describe it. It sounds like right? But functionally right right now at home, three kids and wife at home, I get up in the morning, I make coffee and I don't have problems. And so like, is that an addiction, a true addiction? Probably not, but in a different set of circumstances, could it be conceived as one? Probably.
0: This one's a little lighthearted. Where on the scale of addiction studies are you? Like, is the gambling and sex addiction person cooler than the person who studies like <laughs> addiction to eating salt or addiction to something else? Like- right, so I mean, <laughs> I think that the-
1: depends on who you ask. I, um, it depends on how you define cool. Right now, if you want to talk about being able to get grant money um, and who's able to get the money to do the work they want, then we're at the bottom of the totem pole. But if you want to talk about the ones that people are the most excited to talk to and interested in. Um, I think that we get a lot of public interest because the public's interested in these things, even if the funding agencies aren't.
0: Yeah. They can't really fund it as much, yeah. I guess. Public <laughs> yeah,
1: is- historically not. Gambling, gambling's getting there. Um, eventually sex might, but sex, it just gets so wrapped up in the politics of it all. Right. So,
0: so that kind of a question that just jumps into my head is right. Like, so what do you think about, Gambling was hush hush, no gambling, only in Vegas. Now you see, fan advertisements for it left and right. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess, what do you think about that? What's gonna? Is this a new wave is coming, or like, what do you? So I I don't. So I, I see.
1: You know, sometimes you see people that are very pro gambling saying there's not going to be any problems. It's just a new economic activity, and then sometimes you'll see people that are in the anti gambling community say. This is going to completely restructure society as we know it. And I think both are completely wrong. I think of it in terms of um, if you think about people being predisposed to developing a problem with addiction. um, And then I mentioned really early on in this kind of podcast that, well, sometimes you might be predisposed but are never exposed to it. Right. So you might be predisposed to develop an alcohol problem. But for whatever reason, you just chose to never drink in your life and you never drank. So you never knew that you were predisposed because you were never exposed to it. I think gambling is going to be like that. I think more people that would have never developed a problem will. But I don't think we're talking about some massive epidemic. I think we're talking if the prevalence rate is 1% now, maybe the prevalence rate goes to 2%. Now, that's an absolute doubling in the number of people that have gambling addictions, which is a very big deal. But it's also not like some rampant disease wrecking all of society. So it's this kind of nuanced view. But I do think more people will develop problems that don't have it. And I think it won't be as bad as some people are afraid that it is. You know, I am concerned, um, especially with the fact that a lot of states are legalizing the ability to gamble from your phone. Um, The privacy aspect of it scares me a little bit. It's easier to be responsible with your bets when you know people are watching you. But if nobody's watching you and it's not real money and there's not chips on a table, it's just numbers on a screen, I'm concerned. But it's a cautious concern, not a... I don't necessarily believe that it's definitely going to be a huge problem. I just, I want to see what happens. And that's what a lot of our research now is. is just documenting trends over time.
0: Most interesting gambling case? Most interesting sex addiction case you've had?
1: <laughs> so I can't talk about specific client details um, publicly, right? Because of, of HIPAA and various other protections. Um, I think, though, some of my most gambling cases are the ones that have won big. And I don't mean like, oh, they won 5,000 or 10,000. Like, I, I have cases that have won one or two million, either via lottery um, or via some just insane casino payoff, and then lost it all. Um, just, I mean, it, it says something to say I was up $2 million at one point, and now I'm in the whole 500000 I mean, that speaks to what's going on. Um, so th- that's that. And then <laughs> sex addiction. Um, what's not, it's not actually the sex addiction cases that are the most interesting to me, it's the ones that think they have a sex addiction when they don't. So, like, talking to someone that might say, I'm addicted to porn. I'm like, okay, so when was the last time you viewed porn? Well, you know, three weeks ago when I was in the supermarket, I was at the impulse counter and I saw this very scantily clad woman on the magazine and I thought of what she might look like naked. And you're like, yeah, but when was the last time you looked at porn? And that's <laughs> what they meant. And it's like this completely warped view of the world based on you just complete concerns about, you know, not looking at a woman with lust in your eyes, which is, you know, a thing that comes up in Christian faith a lot. And like, so that's fascinating to me. Again, not a true addiction, but a fascinating worldview to kind of work with in the therapeutic room. Very hard; doesn't actually work out very well sometimes, but very, very interesting.
0: Yeah, like what? What do you do in that kind of circumstances when you may maybe somebody thinks they have an addiction, but it's not really an addiction, right? Well, if
1: someone is coming to me and asking for help then I believe that there are a person that's in front of me that needs help. And so sometimes the help is addiction treatment because you have addiction related kind of behaviors, but sometimes that's something like we, the term we use is acceptance and commitment therapy. It's kind of a school of thought a type of therapy that's focused more on learning to not get so caught up in the, the struggles, basically being able to say, I fell short of my goals that is, in the past, I am moving forward. And so I'm not saying, I don't try to tell, you know, if my client's a conservative Christian, I'm not going to say, well, first you should be an atheist, and then you should be okay viewing corn. Like, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, okay, what are your values? How do we live up to those values without causing suffering in your life? And what does that mean for you? And so it looks a little different for everyone, but oftentimes it's about learning not to hate yourself when you fall short of your values, and learning not to obsess about those values when you're living up to them. Uh, and so it's this balance of trying to just kind of even things out.
0: Do people like when they, maybe they cure the addiction, but can they ever get over a sense of shame? Like hmm. that, oh, I was, I was a gambler and I lost $10 million or whatever, and I don't gamble anymore. But then do they ever get over that? The aspect Oftentimes that they
1: the, the negative emotion around it goes that the shame goes. So there'll still be some regret, right? Feeling like I wish it hadn't been. But it doesn't carry the same pain. And, and a part of that is if you think about a lot of recovery groups, so whether it's AA or GA or 12-step groups, or there's lots of other groups that aren't 12-steps that, that are different patterns, they're built on you telling your story pretty often. And the more often you tell a story, it's the same thing for PTSD, actually. The more often you tell that story that causes you pain, the less pain it causes because you just get used to telling the story. It doesn't mean that you couldn't find the pain if you wanted to. It doesn't mean that there's not still some emotion there, because of course there is. But it becomes less painful, because it's it's just your story at that point. Um, and the bigger thing we deal with is when somebody has a an incident where they slip back into something, there's often crushing shame, and then that crushing shame is like, well, what's the point in anything? Might as well keep going. And it's like, no, a incident, you know, you've been sober for 10 years and you had one drink. That doesn't mean you need to give up and have... 10 drinks a day for the rest of your life. It just means you had one drink and slept up time to get back on.
0: I always wondered if John Daly was like a good example or a bad example Mm -hmm. of somebody that was addicted and really had some trouble with it. Stopped for a long time and then just seems to have become okay with it, like in control, but still doing the thing that he was addicted to. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky.
1: I I hesitate to, point out like exemplars like of somebody that is yeah, yeah agent, no, I right but mean. like I, I do think um like i said earlier whatever you're doing that makes it more likely that you wake up tomorrow morning and that the people around you aren't getting harmed by what you're doing is a step in the right direction and so if the th- thing is if you know like i'm going to end up using and i cannot stop it but you learn a way to do that that doesn't put your life in extreme risk and is, isn't actively hurting the people around you. I tend to think of that as, I mean, good versus bad is one way of thinking about it. I, I think of that as a better direction to go than just going full bore. You know,
0: is it always bad? Addiction is addiction always bad?
1: It depends on how you define bad. Um, I, I think I think of addiction oftentimes as a reaction to what's life's got going on. So sometimes people turn to addictions because what's going on in their life is so bad that they don't feel like they can face it without it. And I've worked with people with addictions that will say, well, if I hadn't had that substance, I would have just committed suicide. And in that situation, it's a hard thing to say that that was bad. It may not have been the best thing for them, but it's hard to say it was bad if they, if they think that that kept them alive. I've heard that phrase before. And I think that that's one aspect. I mean, the other aspect of it is As humans, we're always balancing enjoying life and accomplishing the things that need to be accomplished. Um, And it's not inherently bad that sometimes that balance gets out of whack, where we get a little too far on the enjoyment side of things and we need to pull it back. We need to rank it back in. Like, I mean, so, again, I don't think I would say it's always bad. Yes, we want people to be safe. But sometimes people are going to engage in substances. They're going to engage in behaviors. Sometimes they're going to get a little bit out of control, and it doesn't have to be the world.
0: I would imagine that that's true in the sense that, like, people don't get addicted to something for no reason. Like, are they usually kind of using it to compensate for something that might have been the worst option?
1: Oftentimes that is the case, yes. I mean, there are pure um, physiological addictions, if you will. Um, There are these moments... Where people j- purely just develop a dependence on something and they can't stop because they're dependent. On them. more often than not, yes, it, it is the addicted, the addiction developed because the other options seemed worse. Now we can debate on the outside whether it was or was not, but for the person living it, that's what it, that's what it felt like for them. And that's, I mean, for me, that's part of being a non-judgmental therapist is realizing that what led them to this point is not just some deranged you know, desire to have an addiction or just a lack of self-control or being weak. No, what led them to this point was a set of options that said, no, this is, this is the option that makes the most sense to me. And if we can understand that, some, a lot of times addiction therapy is about making sure that there's better options there so that addiction is no longer the best option.
0: Yeah. Kind of like I can confront my childhood filled with abuse or I can drink alcohol. Yeah, like, well, and I'd I drink alcohol is what I would do. Right, like,
1: and that like, that happens, and and there may come a point with the right supports in place where confronting that abuse makes more sense. Um, but where you are for whatever reason right now, it just doesn't, and so you choose to avoid it via substances.
0: Um, that's pretty much all the questions we okay. got, man. Is there anything that you think we missed, or no. no how can I think people kind of learn more about you and?
1: Yeah. If, you, if you're stuff. interested, if you're ever interested in learning more about me, you can always find me. I'm on Twitter at Joshua Grubbs, PhD. Um, you, I, my website is Joshua Grubbs, PhD.com. Um, both of those are, are probably the best ways to kind of catch up with me. Um, but I, am always happy to hear from folks. If people have questions, um, you know, I do get a lot of emails. I can't promise I'll respond to everything, but I, I do try. Um, and again, I'm pretty active on social. Media.
0: What's the most addictive thing that you think like, oh man, people get into that and it is just off
1: <laughs> i was gonna say caffeine no um it's not caffeine um right now i'm trying to decide if i think this is objectively true or if it's just because of where we kind of are societally i mean i i tend to think of uh, opioids is pretty pretty darn so like the heroin fentanyl carfentanyl that kind of which all have their purposes medically but Any human being, if you gave them a daily dose of an opioid for two weeks, they will be dependent on it at the end of the two weeks. Um, Now, some people will fight through the withdrawals, but um, it's it's a very easy addiction to create. I think it's the easiest addiction to create that we've seen.
0: I want to thank Dr. Grubb so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have a link to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we have also included his information in the episode description. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, he has some great resources that are available to help you out. So real quick, I want to tell you about a new podcast that we discovered. It's called Too Much Information. It's an iHeartRadio podcast that gives you the secret history and behind the scene de- behind the scene details about your favorite movies music tv shows and more Too Much Information
1: is a new podcast that gives you the secret histories and little-known facts about your favorite movies, music, TV shows, and more. It's brought to you by two trivia titans with Too Much Free Time. I'm Alex Heigl. And I'm Jordan Runtog. We're pop culture buffs and listicle writers who've worked at national magazines,
0: TV networks, and New York newspapers. Now we're leaving the lists and diving deep into a different beloved entertainment classic three times a week. Get ready for everything you never knew about Ocean's Eleven, Abba's Dancing
1: Queen, Hook, the list goes on. Listen and follow Too Much Information wherever you listen to your
0: favorite shows. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show with a new Candle of the Month. I had some questions that I was going to ask you, but instead, whenever we do one of these Beginning of the Month episodes, are you just basically ignoring everything that I say until you can get to Candle of the Month?
2: (laughs) I am pretty excited about this month's... I mean, I'm always excited, but... uh... I did some extra research on this one, and uh, I haven't actually bought it yet. But it was recommended to me by two people, so I'm that's good enough for me. So I'm going to throw it Wait out. Wait a minute!
0: You're going to say you're going to put forward to the people as your candle of the month a candle that you have not actually used. You're going to stake your reputation
2: on somebody else's word. I am. I you know I uh, I, I, I I trust their candle con connoisseurship do you have a planner that you write stuff in uh like to keep track of the candles that i talk no, about
0: just like in oh. general like do you have are you a planner person like i'm gonna write this down in my calendar
2: i'm just finding that the older i get uh the less i remember so i'm, I'm almost thinking about like starting a diary hmm i think men have to call it a journal Okay, okay. A journal then. Not a not a diary. Right.
0: Like I couldn't tell another man that like, "Hey man, I got a diary." But I could be like, "Oh yeah, I I have a journal."
2: <laughs> I I you can call it whatever you want. I I think I just need to start remembering. Plus I kind of want to just remember the days. Like, do you even remember what you were like in February? What you were doing, what you were watching, what your interests were?
0: No. But that probably means it really wasn't that important to you at the same time, right? I do keep, I call it a memory of a day journal. I'm actually going to class it up and I'm going to go all the way to memoir. Uh, (laughs) But I keep it and I write down memories. I've never actually looked back through it
2: though. How long have you been doing it for?
0: Oh, it might be 10 years. Oh. Wow! Yeah, that's not the answer you thought. Right? You you think you thought you were gonna get hit with like six months or like a year, but no, I hit you with like, hey man, I've been doing it. The I pro- thought
2: the- I actually thought you were gonna turn it into a my mom joke. I didn't know you were being serious.
0: No, I mean I've been doing it for ten years, but I've been doing it your mom for twenty. <laughs> oh man! What do you think the first <laughs> entry in my memoir is gonna be? Man, that was good. Better than the last thirty times. <laughs>
2: What do you think uh, your first chapter of your memoir would actually be like? Ooh.
0: I think you'd have to be the basic theme of your life. Whatever the basic theme of your life would be. Like, what do you think is the basic theme of your life? Like, the overall character arc of John Shull.
2: Hmm. That he's a good person.
0: You are actually a good person. I would have to give that, like...
2: It, it, I envision, like, the first chapter being told from another person's perspective about how I impacted their life. That's how I would envision mine. Hmm. So then, wait, autobiography is when you write it.
0: A biography yeah. is when someone else writes it. I always get those confused. I feel like there's a third one that's like a dual, by I is told to. Or something like that. Anyway, nobody's that interested in that. Okay, do you no. think that your perception of yourself is the same way that other people see you, or would you be surprised to hear how people around you would describe you?
2: Yeah, i i would I would be absolutely surprised, and I, I say that uh, because I, I think just as people, we don't we don't uh, value ourselves very much. Like for all I know I could I could be the best part of a dozen people's days just me being at work or or whatever or waking up next to my wife or the worst I'm, that's a lie or the worst um, do you uh, yeah do you know for a fact if there are
0: people out there that can't stand you for a fact no um, you're you're with 90 90 percent plus confidence like I'm pretty sure this person hates me.
2: Yeah, I can't, I mean, well, no, yeah, there's, what's funny is that it's probably the people that that you would think are actually supposed to be the closest to you that I would think oftentimes hate you the most.
0: Oh, you mean like people that you have to associate with a lot? Yeah, I think you really have yeah. to kind of be in consistent contact with somebody to truly
2: dislike them. Yeah, I you know, I, I would say probably the max of two people that probably legitimately hate me i can think of one for
0: sure that hates me i can't think of a second i'm probably like on the list of a couple of people
2: <laughs> but not every time in, in in life that anyone's ever said something like that to me you you remember billy madison not, not personally i remember the movie oh well i i forget his name uh steve buscemi he's like a. A serial killer, and he has a list of people that he wants to tick off, and uh, Billy Madison's on there. But then Billy goes and apologizes to him for make, making fun of him, and he crosses his name off the list. That's what you know. That's what I envisioned when you just said, I'm probably on a few people's lists. They're just getting to me. Mm.
0: I can think of one definitely for sure, but I can't think of that many others. Uh, on Actually, uh, on the topic of our guest that we had this week,
2: though, have you ever been addicted to anything? Yeah, I'm addicted to everything. <laughs> I have an addictive personality. I, I can't just do something like I, I can't. I, I, you know, I, for instance, the best example, it just happened to me. My dog pulled out uh, or pulled down one of my curtains, curtain rods out of the wall. So obviously you have to put it back in your anchor it, whatever. But instead of just doing one, I went around and checked every curtain rod and the ones that were kind of, you know, fugly, I, I redid. I think that's obsessive-compulsive.
0: I don't think that's addicted. Like, you're not addicted to reinstalling curtain rods. I think that's obsessive-compulsive.
2: I mean, mean, alcohol, gambling, fun times. (laughs) I mean, it's tough.
0: That's what's difficult, is that so much of what is fun in life is kind of bad
2: for you. Which is shitty, if you really think about it.
0: I wonder, though, if it wasn't bad for you, if it would still be fun. Kind of well, I bad mean... for you, right? Like, alcohol, we could have this debate, right? Like, it's pretty obvious, like, hey, you know what? You probably shouldn't do heroin. I don't think that there's any positive health benefits for heroin. But people understand what we're talking <laughs> about, right? Like, alcohol, not the worst thing that you can do. But what if it was, like, drinking water, and it was like, hey, would it still be as fun?
2: Well, that's the thing. I, I you know... Some people are addicted to to that, right? Like, look at The Rock. You could say he's addicted to self-fitness or whatever. No, I think it's physical fitness. Steroids is what it is, really. Well, I mean, whatever. Um, yeah, but I, I would go on a limb and say that addictions are 90% bad to 10% good. I'll say 96% bad to 4% good.
0: Well, I would think that pretty much being addicted to anything where it's like impacting your life, the definition of addicting is probably almost a hundred percent, but I know what you mean, right? Like it's usually nobody's, well, people can be addicted to exercise.
2: Yeah. Like if you're addicted to uh, whatever, eating vegetables, that's not a bad addiction. I mean, you're gonna have some pretty smelly ass farts for a while, but it's not terrible i I will say we don't need to get into addiction, but it's uh it, it's a serious thing and uh yeah it, it's it definitely can lead you down some paths you don't want to be on
0: yeah, we're probably not really qualified to be talking
2: about this well, I mean you're talking to a guy who has had to re you know uh regrow his liver twice, so I'm not necessarily qualified but i've 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 been down some dark roads, I think we all have,
0: yeah, I can't say that I've ever really struggled with something that i've wanted to stop doing and not been able to but that does it's interesting what you talked about is like you might have something you just haven't discovered it yet like it could be like who knows in the future right it could you could happen at any moment we should probably just move on all right are you ready for your (laughs) shout outs
2: i am i am uh hold on let me bring them up first so you're not ready uh, not ready would be the answer there I, I know. I, just I, I, I was expecting to go down a rabbit hole on uh, on the whole addiction thing. Yeah, but, I feel uh, like we
0: don't know what we're talking about. We should probably just bail out on that one.
2: Well, that would be this entire four year podcast. Uh, all right, uh, let's see here. We'll start with uh, Holden McElroy, uh, Johnny Stone, Phoenix Lythall, <laughs> Thomas. Even, can't be real. Okay, but Thomas Raymond, uh, Joe Sheehy. Uh, Rico Wee, PJ O'Reilly, Lavar German, and Charlie Mason. You all get the uh the shout outs for the day. Congratulations! I will never get tired of the way that you do
0: these. Like you've never, like you've never seen the word before. Like to her, <laughs> it's kind of it embarrassing. The <laughs> I
2: I I think people like don't uh don't. Uh, want me to say their name so they don't follow us on purpose. It's probably a smarter play. Also, what's up with your sign back there? It's looking a looking a little mangy. That's the point of
0: the profoundly pointless sign. Like other people have fancy studios. We have a note piece of notebook paper where we wrote profoundly pointless on it and then hung it to the wall with duff cape, which has since been <laughs> marked up by two children and chewed on by a dog. I was gonna say something. Are those teeth, marks? Those teeth what is... marks? By the dog, huh? Still the original sign, though. Holding on for uh, dear life
2: back there. Uh, man. Well, once I get my studio back, which you know, update on my basement. It's only half fucked up, uh, but it should be done before Christmas. So it's only been five months in the in the making. But here we are. Christmas
0: of this year or Christmas twenty twenty three.
2: Christmas of this year. Okay, so that means
0: summer of twenty twenty
2: three. Yeah, well the rising costs and everything makes you never um, may, makes me want to quit here now. There we go. Okay. You wanna hear some bullshit? Let me tell you some bullshit oh, here shit. real fast. Oh, I gotta say one this thing. This is the right? problem. This is
0: why people start to dislike Oh, this is why younger people start to dislike people what? in their thirties as they get older in their forties. Because everything becomes about the conversations about their house or their children. Listen, I just want to say this, and then we can move how on. How long before – in any conversation you would have with somebody, how long before either the house, the children, or the weather comes up? 30 seconds? A minute? How long before it's get, one of those three things gets brought up in any conversation you have with somebody?
2: It's probably one of the first sentences, probably within the first 30 seconds. Right. This is what's happening. Anyways, what my my point is – I know I'm getting old because go to go to Ohio this weekend. I live in Michigan. Went oh, to Ohio sorry. to see the mother in law. How is Big Deb? Does she, she listen she's... to this
0: podcast? Can I say Big Deb? <laughs> uh
2: anyways. Uh <laughs> paid four dollars and twenty cents a gallon of gas here in Michigan. Oh, it's cheap. I don't know what it is in Seattle. It's about six bucks. Drive sixty miles to the Ohio border. It's three fifty nine. How is it 60 cents more a gallon 60 miles away or is this the cents less a gallon 60 miles away Well I almost crashed my car into the gas station I was so floral. Well wait
0: a minute where you did you buy gas the first time in Detroit and then left the metro area and went more into the countryside
2: cuz there's your answer right there Well I mean we were we were near Toledo I mean it's not t- uh, Toledo and metropolis, Detroit but, right okay But it's but it, but it was 3 50s, 60s, seventy nine, everywhere in Ohio. I think gas was is always insane. generally cheaper in the Midwest and in, away from bigger cities. It's stupid. It's stupid. Anyways, that's my rant. That's all. You know, I'm not going to even get into the, the car drama I had this I past week. It.
0: Because it's your fault, yeah. and we know it's your fault. So let's just move to the point where we realize it's, it's your fault. And can we go? It's fine. Right? The
2: candle's burning here. Yeah, let's go. All right. Uh, got a couple of... Uh, Bangers for you. Uh, crushed ice, cubed ice, or ball ice? Which, uh, what's your favorite kind of ice? Cream? I'm never
0: the kind of person that likes ball ice. That is too fancy for me. Give me cubed if I'm having some sort of a drink that is in a glass. But if it is a plastic cup, then I'm going to go crushed ice.
2: <laughs> okay. All right. I'm always going cubed ice. And then uh, ball ice is nice, uh, kind of fancy. Crushed ice is probably my least favorite. So, but if you naturally. if you
0: have a drink, this is my what I would say is the hard and fast rule: if you have a drink in a plastic cup that is 32 ounces or more, you have to go with crushed ice.
2: Especially if it's I, carbonated. I guess I'm trying to think back. I don't even remember the last time I had a, a 32 ounce drink. Okay. Like, like, what are, what are you
0: getting? A big gulp? Yeah, dude, get a big gulp. Big gulp. If it is a big gulp, and the definition of a big gulp is thirty-two ounces or more up to a sixty-four, then you gotta go with crushed ice. Can you think about how much liquid sixty-four ounces of something is? Like you, that should be. I'm not going into this whole thing about like sugar taxes and all that kind of stuff, but (laughs) sixty-four ounces of a drink, like that, is kind of ridiculous. I need two liters of this right now on my desk (laughs) is a little bit like 64 ounces of Mountain Dew. All right. Let's let's pump the brakes on that a little bit.
2: Yeah. But I mean, also there's been studies that like it's, it's really like 20 ounces of actual pop. The rest is carbonated water or water. So really you're just getting crap.
0: Yeah. But still, I mean, 64 ounces is a lot. It's a lot of liquid. Right? Nobody's drinking 64 ounces of water, I'll tell you that.
2: They're not. They're not. the unhealthy bastards. I don't think I've had water in um, a week. I can go a week without
0: drinking just straight water. So what are you drinking? Basically a combination of, like, pop or chocolate milk.
2: <laughs> How are you Looking a grown-ass man? Light,
0: Fruit Punch. Not very well, man. It's not going well. Anyways.
2: <laughs> All right. Second question here. Uh... Would you rather have fuggly toes, or fuggly fingers, or fuggly teeth?
0: Oh, fuggly toes, you man! To you gotta with go the with the one. thing that people see the least, right? So you go toes, oh, man. toes,
2: then fingers, then teeth. But I feel like when people see your toes, and if they're fuggly, that's they remember when have that. You ever more than looked at legs?
0: another man's toes?
2: I mean, I, I kind of—I mean, I'm weird, so I, I kind of make make it a habit to look at people's toes. But... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? The f-
0: like is that, was, that, that your jam? If sentence. that's your jam, you, actually, that actually makes the that one. actually makes more sense. If that's like your jam, but if you're just like randomly looking at people's feet, it makes no sense.
2: I, I wasn't randomly looking at people's feet, but if you know, if you're at, at the beach or or uh, at a water park or something, your my eyes just kind of always gravitate towards their feet the people's feet for some reason.
0: okay so that i feel like that happens only one of two reasons right either because you're self-conscious of yours and you want to see what other people's look like and comparatively or you think yours are really good and you want to compare yours to other people and be like <laughs> that guy may be six three, two fifty, 250 ripped out and have a huge package
2: but his toes suck um I think I have pretty exquisite toes. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay.
0: Now we've identified that source of. But I have fantastic (laughs) calves and I don't look at people's calves. Actually, I do now that I think about it.
2: I I think it's just human. Like we just, we think we have something that's superior. So then we look at everyone else's that isn't. You got to validate yourself. I got you. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right, we'll uh, we'll knock this one out quick here. So uh, on our ask people to vote. Oh, poll. so
0: when other people get to contribute to the show, we're gonna get that one out of the way fast, so you can get to your candle of the month. That is rude.
2: <laughs> Why are you? Come on, you're man. the one
0: that said it. I didn't. I respect the people. I the people voted yeah. on this, and they want to hear what we're gonna say about it. And you just dismiss it, so you can talk about your candles. <laughs>
2: Oh, man. You uh, you got nothing on that. Man. God, God, God I got it. nothing. Um, all right. So we're, let's talk. So obviously there's cheating all over the place. Every profession, everywhere. Uh, sports, life, Wall Street, it doesn't matter. Uh, but could you imagine cheating at a walleye fish uh, uh, tournament? Could you imagine getting caught stuffing fish with lead weights and other little fishes to try to make your fish heavier? to win, and then imagine the fallout from all your angry fishermen when they find out that you were trying to cheat.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can. That sounds like, I mean, is there money involved? Because then, yeah.
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, I believe there was a prize of almost $30,000. That this I, I don't know
0: why people aren't cheating. What is the least <laughs> amount of money that you would cheat for? The prize is Ooh. this, I'm still going to cheat.
2: Well, okay, so like, like, what would happen if I got caught? Just return the money, or would I go to jail?
0: Uh, no, just immoral. Not illegal. Oh, a, th- a
2: thousand five hundred. Oh, I'd
0: cheat for a hundred bucks, honestly. Yeah, I mean, maybe even twenty if there's not a lot of
2: people involved. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I. You know, a hundred bucks can buy you still. They can still buy you some things. So
0: now that I think about it, I play the game. Sorry, with my children who are six and three, and I cheat
2: <laughs> to win. I <I'm laughs> cheat for free. That's quite terrible. Yeah, that's that's quite terrible. But it's, they don't it's know fine. The Nobody expects anything less from you. Yeah,
0: well, if you're not cheating, you're not trying.
2: My, I applaud. My almost that four-year-old, was, my almost four-year-old was beating me in a race, and I kind of nudged her to knock her down so I could win. If that that makes Wait really a minute. Better.
0: She was really beating you.
2: I mean, she had the upper hand. I mean, I was on, you know, I wasn't really running, but like she thought she was going to win, so I had to do something. So, so I just, just nudged You're her a little
0: four, bit. She, God, your four year old girl is out running you.
2: You've do got to She got off balance. You got I'm, I'm working on it. Man. I need to work a little harder. Pumpkin roll, baby. Eat that pumpkin roll. What? Pumpkin roll. Check it out. If you've never heard of pumpkin roll, Try it. It's probably, it's probably the best, one of the best fall desserts there is. Okay.
0: You should, yeah. I mean, if, look, if you want to get outran by a four-year-old child, then <laughs> go ahead. Continue on the path. Yeah, are, well, you, are you ready? You want me to do your introduction?
2: Yes, please. It's time
0: for the outlaw candle connoisseur himself as he wipes the spit off of his mouth from the excitement from the candle of the month.
2: <laughs> what's the candle of the month burn it up <laughs> you know i i won't give us much credit for many things but uh you name me another podcast that does this all right a candle of the month i mean there's probably I, a I, whole I, podcast dedicated to candles so yeah but they're not they don't know what we know uh all right this uh this this month's candle comes to us from yankee candle Y a n k e e for all of you who thought I said something else. And uh, uh, the description before I get to the title: the autumn evening invites with brisk earthy notes and dreamy interludes of lavender and woodland whispers. Damn. Damn. Crisp fall night is the candle of the month. Like I said, it's on I. I, I was on back order because uh, it is a bestseller. I also believe it's on sale. If you want to head over there and check it out. Uh, half off, but uh, I will I will have it soon. Um, but a couple people recommended it to me. I took a look at it. It looks awesome. Color looks great. Uh, comes in two and three wicks. Obviously, I'm always gonna always gonna recommend the more wicks. Right, more wicks. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Can't uh, yeah, go wrong with more wicks. Check it out. Crisp fall night is the candle of the month by Yankee. Now, when you get a
0: recommendation, right? Like, how does someone say you should try this candle? That they just randomly give this to you, like how does this go? That you just get suggested candles by people.
2: I mean, some people, some people stop. You know, uh, one of these people actually, their husband listens to us, and happened a while back to to tell her about that I do a candle thing, and she's a big candle person, and uh, we were just talking the other day about life, and we the podcast got brought up, and she was like, "Oh, the you know." You still, you're still doing the candle thing. I'm like, yeah. And then she, you know, so the word has gotten out there, gotten out there. And I don't, I don't accept any money from these companies. I, I don't.
0: Well, they're not offering it. So, but if they did, I certainly, you, I'm sure you certainly would. Why do you have to blow this? <laughs> Let the people think what they're going to think. Here's my other question for you, right? Let's say one of your candle buddies, a woman, wants you to go candle shopping with her and your wife isn't coming. Could you get away with going candle shopping with another woman?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Whoa. Hmm. 100%. Yep. I have no doubts. My, uh, I have a fantastic wife who would never stand between me and my passions. And I don't mean going shopping with other women. I mean going to a candle store.
0: Okay. Is there a candle destination that you'd like to go someday in your life? Like, you know, football fans want to go to Canton see the hall of fame. Um, Where does John Shaw I, Candle Connoisseur want to go someday to see the best candle score in America?
2: I actually don't know if there is a candle uh hall of fame. You think probably is, not. <laughs> They've all
0: burned away. I <laughs> uh, you know what? Yeah, I've right. lost interest. Are you ready for our top 5?
2: Just just so you know, there's a National Candle Association which I think I need to be involved. You got to join yes. up. You could be president someday. Oh, thank you. I could be anything I wanted to be, except an astronaut, because my mom told me I was too fat from age five. Mm. So, all right. Well, technically, she wasn't, she wasn't she wasn't. wrong. Yeah, what a way to crush a child's
0: dreams. Well, would you rather be told you're too fat or too dumb?
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Like, you could do something about the one. Oh, that's tough, though, man. Like, if someone were to come to me and go, you could go into space. But, you know, you're too dumb or too fat. I almost think I'd rather be told I'm too dumb because at least I have a legitimate reason. Oh, yeah. I could see that,
0: right? Like, well, what am I going to do? Nothing I can do about this. Like, yeah. Anyways. That's, that's the way normal. it goes. Top five things you don't want to get the cheap version of.
2: Minor number five is a mattress.
0: Mmm. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, you don't.
2: Uh, as I get older, it's kind of a theme of this episode. Getting older, uh, as I get older, I'm realizing that uh, having a good mattress is important. Like getting a good night's sleep, which I don't, but at least laying in bed in a comfortable mattress is uh, is important.
0: How much you spend on your mattress?
2: Oh, I don't know. Probably. I mean, I know it was a couple thousand Damn. dollars. I mean, it was, I know it's not that much, but it was enough. So,
0: mine was like 500 bucks. What the fuck are you buying?
2: I don't know. We got one of these tempur-pedic memory foam oh, ones I, I don't know but like the like I've had a shitty mattress you know, if that's all you can afford that's fine uh but I can tell you that having a nice mattress it's gonna be around for a while and it's comfortable and my back doesn't hurt every hmm
0: mm. okay I think the most I've ever spent on a mattress is five hundred dollars
2: oh well you went even even now like you're still sleeping on a cheap
0: mattress don (laughs) don oh boy i gotta call one of my kids if i'll find out how much our (laughs) mattress is i'll tell you this right now if it's a thousand dollars i'm gonna be pissed off
2: of course it is i'm gonna find out the fact that you don't know how much it is means it was expensive i know
0: i don't want to find out uh minor five's toilet paper (laughs) don't go cheap on toilet paper get the nicer stuff
2: I I actually I have something along those lines, but it's it's a little further down my list. So. Okay, but I agree with number you. Number four. Uh so my number four is shoes.
0: Yeah, that's a good one too. That becomes for people who are younger listening to this. As you get older into the mid thirties, you gotta you gotta you got you gotta get better shoes.
2: Yeah, but like, don't I don't want the young kids who listen to this to think that like a pair of Jordans for 180 bucks is what I'm talking about. I mean, like a good. Comfortable, you know, durable pair of shoes. Like I, 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 might buy two to four pairs of shoes a, a year.
0: Yeah, you got to you you got to forget about style and start going with structure. Like it's got to be a well made pair of shoes. You got to, right? yeah, you, gotta, you got it knees to, and important. back, ankles, neck, shoulders. Everything hurts as you get older. Oh, it does. My number four is a haircut. Don't go get a five dollar <laughs> haircut. Right, like.
2: I mean, I, I guess. Coming from us, by the way, if you're listening to this and actually, actual have like a hairdresser or get your hair cut by a professional, um, don't listen to this. But my haircut's only like fifteen dollars. I mean, I and I don't think that's expensive at all.
0: I go pretty cheap with a haircut, but I'm just not going snip and clip six bucks cheap, right? Like I'm gonna go <laughs> up to the twelve to eighteen dollar range.
2: Yeah, there there used to be a um. Uh, I forget the chain, but it was like $5 for a haircut or something. Yeah. Well, it's uh, going to be worth
0: $5. You do get what you pay for. What's your number three?
2: Uh, So this one's kind of a cop-out, but uh, I have paper towel, kind of a long. It's not toilet paper because I feel like toilet paper you can, you know, you can suffer through. But uh, paper towel, man, if you have the cheap stuff that just rips in your hand or, like, isn't absorbent, it's the worst effing crap out there do you
0: actually use one sheet of paper towel when you're cleaning something
2: never and I, i'm the worst like that's probably the one thing i need to get better at well the one thing that's something i need to get better at
0: i don't think i've ever used less than probably three pieces of paper <laughs> towel for anything that i'm doing
2: i'm even worse though with uh toilet paper and kleenex you know, i go to grab a, a, a tissue i'm grabbing like six Oh, I'll grab one Kleenex, but when it comes to
0: toilet paper, I'm probably five or six things deep before I okay. even think that I'm protected. <laughs> I can never just rip off one piece and do that. I don't think anybody ever has, to be honest with you. Uh, did you. Did you do your number three already? Yeah, I just did it. My number three is any repair you can't do yourself. Like, if you're getting estimates for roofing or electrical work, Or auto mechanics, don't go with the cheapest one, right? Like if you've got an estimate for a roof, and there's a bunch of people at ten grand, and somebody says I'll do it for five, (laughs) you should probably go ahead and get that ten grand one.
2: Yeah, that was going to be my number one, uh, but I'm changing it now, not to reflect it being on both lists. But that that's that's obviously smart. I'll say that's smarter than better. Uh, My number two is you need a good set of tires. Oh, that is a good one.
0: I didn't think about that.
2: Yeah, you don't want to go cheap on tires. Yeah, you definitely do not want to go cheap. I did that one year, and my tire blew out. And uh, thank God I wasn't driving uh, at the time, because I had been drinking, and who knows what would have happened.
0: That's good. Yeah, okay. Uh, I've had tire blowout on the road. That's not a fun thing to have happen to you. Uh... My number two, I, I put parachute, but I would say that anything that kind of protects your life. Like, don't buy the cheapest helmet or medical equipment. Like, get the nicer version of it.
2: Okay, I mean, I'm a little iffy. Like, I'm, I'm looping medicine in there, too, like with the medical stuff. Um, most of that stuff, you can get much cheaper generic versions, which is just the same thing. But, yeah,
0: but I'm not talking about, like, medication I mean, like, look, if you're going to buy a Whoa. helmet, don't get the cheapest motorcycle <laughs> helmet you can find. Like, let's let's get a nicer yeah, you
2: one. Don't, you don't want to end up concussed. You going to bring up your boy Tua? Say something offensive again? No. I'm not. I wasn't offensive. Uh, at least I didn't think it was offensive. Uh, my number one, uh, you do not want to go cheap on food. And food, uh, I mean, uh, from gr- the grocery store to restaurants, obviously you're paying for what you get for the for the most uh uh uh, most of the time i mean i think we've talked about it before about my distaste for you know uh like kroger cereal when i could get the name brand for 30 cents more and it's much better
0: i actually completely disagree with you not only do i disagree that that's not worthy of being on the top five i would actually say the opposite Right? If I had a choice between the nicest Mexican dinner I can find or Taco Bell, I'm going to Taco Bell every day of the week.
2: Like, hey, you want to go to
0: La Fancy Pants? No. You want to go to Taco Bell?
2: Yeah. Yeah, but it's also coming from a guy who, you know, you don't cook very much. I don't think you. Give me the garbage.
0: Give me the $1.99 mega box of cereal.
2: It, it pains me when I'm walking. And I, I've, there's only one store that still has these, but it's the big plastic bags of cereal, like the 10 pound bags. And I'm like, that's dog food. <laughs> like, that is dog food that people. And I, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I want to make this clear. If, if that's what you can afford, great. Like, I've been there, I get it. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody if that's what they can afford. But man, if I have a choice over things you should not buy cheap, uh uh, it's food and that goes into that category
0: my number one is uh condoms (laughs) birth control measures don't go cheap when it comes to birth control measures men or women get the that's what right like if it's a dollar 99 for a (laughs) six-pack
2: let's go ahead
0: and let's go ahead and get the nicer ones
2: you know, I, uh, I, I, I'm, I don't really have, I'm not really well versed in, uh, in, in condoms, so I'm gonna, I guess I'm gonna defer everything. That's why you to got you. two kids. So, well, you know, um, hmm. I, like, I don't even know. I, I'm sure that what did they make like value condoms?
0: I don't even know anymore. I mean, my wife and I have been married for ten years. No, wait, that's not true. Yeah, We've been I... together for eleven years, so, <laughs> you know, your boy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I mean, raw dog in it. <laughs> I mean, listen, more power to you. Um yeah, I, I'm not sure if I would like walk into that aisle, if I would even you know, you have like the $22.99 box and then a four ninety nine box. It'd be real hard to turn down the four ninety nine box.
0: I would be real easy to turn down the four ninety nine box, right? Like you're doing this for a reason, you should probably invest, make that investment <laughs> and go ahead and like bump that dollar up a little bit, right? I'm not saying you got to get the $30 lambskin special, but let's not get the $2.99 value pack sponsored by, like, I don't know, somebody like Nick Cannon and his 15 kids, right? Like, that's. I mean, or, you uh, you know,
2: I'm sure we all saw that viral picture of the reporter in Hurricane Ian that used a condom as a mic cover. That was a, a classy use of a cheap condom, I hope. Yeah,
0: I would think that somebody and her boss would be having a conversation with her. What's in your honorable mention? I actually have a lot.
2: Uh, I don't. You know what? I don't really have that much. Um, I guess I don't have I don't much. think anything outside the realm of kind of what you touched on. So what's on your honorable?
0: Insurance. You should get decent insurance, right? If you're going to do it, get the right stuff. <laughs> romance. Don't go cheap when it comes to Romance.
2: Wait, okay, no, elaborate. when you mean romance, do you mean like strippers?
0: well, really, uh, anything fun. in that regard, right? okay, like I don't care right. if it's something for your wife, your girlfriend, your significant other, a prostitute. Don't go cheap, <laughs> right? That's a good one, prostitute, yeah, you don't want go Listen, up, young men spend and women more on
2: that one, yeah, yeah, just you know what, don't waste your time on on taking them out to dinner, but yes, everything else. Don't, uh, you know, spend... Eye, eye protection. Eh, yeah, okay.
0: They're just your eyes. Don't worry about it. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It helps us out. We do have a YouTube channel as well. Um, it's It's interesting, right? Because I do think... That there is a side of these interviews that you don't necessarily get just in the audio version. So if you want to check out any of the videos that we have, we are profoundly pointless on YouTube. Let us know what you think, though, are some of the things that, man, you, you just can't go cheap there.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old.